0: So first, a little bit of, uh, like, an orientation to see where we are on the map. It's always uh, kind of uh, very helpful. So we say here is Jerusalem, here is Tel Aviv, uh, Haifa would be here. Um, we were in Banias yesterday and around the Sea of Galilee. That would be Capernaum, Tabha. We stay in Genosa, which is right here. Arbel is the mountain just above of, uh, you know, our, our hotel. Magdala is right here, so you can see it's all ar- around that western side of the, of the lake. And we now made our way to Nazareth, which is, uh, which is up here. Below us would be the Jezreel Valley. Israel Valley, Jezreel Valley. That's the valley you just see below us. Um, and from here and north, that would be the Galilee. So the lower Galilee would go all along here to about this line and from here and up would be the upper Galilee um, and here would be the Golan Heights so uh, we're now in Nazareth. Later on today we're gonna drive down towards the valley and basically we're gonna visit um, uh, Gideon Spring which is around here Spring of Harod and Beit and then we're gonna drive back towards the baptismal side, the Jordan River, down here. So that's the circle we're basically doing today. So that's all along the jerusalem Valley, Beit and back up along the Jordan Valley to the Sea of Galilee. Okay, so just to give you a bit of uh, an orientation. Mount Carmel is right here. Mount Carmel is right here. Orientation, Mount Carmel is the ridge over there. So, if we want to orient a map, we actually need to go the other way around, okay? East would be there, so, uh... (laughs) um, By the way, orientation, do you know where the word comes from? What is orient? Orient. Orient east. East, right? So, basically, ancient maps have always been oriented, not north like today, like all maps facing north, all the ancient maps were facing the east <laughs> because that was the clearest, right? So orientation comes from those maps, everything was towards the east um Occidental now, sorry, Occidental yeah, exactly. now, behind us is the city of Nazareth. Uh, on the way back, I'll show you where we can see the contemporary Church of the Annunciation. Uh, we all know that uh, this was the city of uh, of Jesus. This is where Mary got the message from Angel Gabriel that she, she, she would be pregnant um, and to have a son that would be named Yeshua. By the way, Jesus, but basically the Hebrew name would be Yeshua. What is Yeshua in Hebrew? The Savior right God saves the Savior the Redeemer same as Joshua Yeshua so uh, the, the name had the meaning he would be from the house of David that's very very important because Messiah is supposed to come from the house of David um, and uh, so it's all happening in Nazareth as I said at the time a very small village and try to think of Jesus the child who is actually uh, been raised in a, raised in a, in a small village um maybe 100 people, 25, 30 families, uh, working with his father, as we say, as a tecton, as a builder, as a ha- handyman. Nazareth could not really provide enough work for him, so he goes with his father to the bigger cities, such as Safaris, Tiberias, uh, and other places to work. This is how he started to be exposed to more ideas, to more opinions, to, to be more open-minded. He is actually, in a way, too keen a lot of those different cultures he's been exposed to or societies he's been exposed to while working with his father. Because in Nazareth, it's very, very small. I mean, you couldn't really grow mentally and educationally and intellectually and spiritually from just staying in one small village. And what we see down here, as I said, this is the, the Jezreel Valley. Across of us, this is the Moray Hill. Moray Hill, I saw this uh satellite atlas someone bought this morning. Uh if you open that main map, you would see the Moray Hill. Do you remember wh- when when where is this kind of uh mentioned in the Bible? When Gideon fought with the Midianites, that was at the Moray Hill right here. Um Transfiguration Mount and in between uh here and uh and the valley down there which is the Kishon. What happened in the Kishon Valley? Kishon, the battle of Deborah, right? And Sisera, the commander of Jabin, the king of Hatzor. So that's in the uh, valley over there, the Kishon Valley, which is a small part of the entire what we call Jesuit Valley. Uh, so that's in between Mount Tabor and the Kishon. That's this very, very famous battle. Down in the valley was where Yael uh, actually killed uh, Sisera with a peg. Uh, Behind is Mount Gilboa, last battle of King Saul with the Philistines. But I'm trying to show you that the entire, not the entire, but major part of the Bible is down here. The reason is, first, the valley is one of, of the major, major transportation veins of the country, connecting the Mediterranean Sea. With the east, with what's today Jordan, Transjordan, on the way to Mesopotamia. Beit was a major city right along that kind of uh, transportation vein a- along that road. Megiddo, Valley of Armageddon. By the way, Jezreel Valley and Kishon is is what we call the Valley of Armageddon. Megiddo would be in the middle of the valley right over there where you see that kind of a bright area. That would be Megiddo. Tomorrow we're going to visit Tel Megiddo, which is... The, the, the archaeological mound of Megiddo, the traditional site for Armageddon. Um, this has always been a major, major kind of, a, a, as I said, transportation vein or a road, and that's why it's always been under conflict. So many, many of the battles took place around here. And all you need is to really open the Bible, and almost, I mean, every single piece of land here would have some biblical reference. That's what I was trying to actually point out to you. And more important to that matter, this is the playground of Jesus Christ as a child. He's in Nazareth. He comes up here to play with his friends. That's what he sees. He knows the Bible. I mean, he studies the Bible. He knows the stories. You know, these are Gideon fought with the Midianites right here. King Saul, the last battle, Mount Gilboa. Uh, You know, uh, it's all here. Yael right here. Kishon is right over there. All of those biblical references for him, that's his backyard. That's why he grew up. I mean, when you stand here, you understand the background of Jesus Christ as a child. And you know, the village you see down there is a village named Nain. Do you remember the name Nain from the the Bible? What happened in Nain? The The widow's son, right? The resurrection of the widow's son. Behind it, there is an Arab town today named Sunam. Sulem, or Shunem. Remember the Shunemite from the book of Kings? When Elisha resurrected the son of the Shunemite woman? That's in the head of Jesus. When he grew up, he knows that no far from here, this is when Elisha the prophet resurrected the son of the Shunemite woman. Here's the prefiguration of the story of Nain and the widow and the resurrection of her son. I, I, when I come here, I always get excited about you know understanding where Jesus is a child. This is his, his inspiration. And it's all biblical, and uh, th- that's why, for me, this is... Uh, I, I, except for the view, which is amazing, the topography, g- the geography, it's also what Nazareth meant at the time, to Jesus to Jesus Christ as, as a child growing up. That's it. I always say to my kids, this is the playground of the keys of Nazareth of, of that period of time. So um Darth
1: Brooks, Mike, here. <laughs> All right, can you hear me? I'm gonna get a better spot. I don't wanna fall. There we go. So I was thinking last night as uh, we were coming up here, uh, just an incredible opportunity. Um, What he just put into words is what I've been thinking about, how this is the playground of Jesus. He would have played on these rocks uh, to think of the thoughts that were going through his head as a kid, knowing that his time had not yet come. And I believe, as I was thinking about that, you know, somewhere along our journey of life, we're going to come to a point where uh, we know there's things that we want, but not necessarily uh, what we need at the same time. Uh, I believe, on the faith journey that all of us are on, uh, we come to the realization along the way that Jesus is not always the kind of Savior that we want, but instead, He's the Savior that we need. And right here on this very spot, On this cliff looking over Uh, Luke 4 21 through 30 is an incredible story in scripture it starts at the end of this and I want to start here on this cliff uh, with Jesus about to be thrown off of this very cliff by the people he grew up with his friends his relatives so many familiar faces and now this angry mob that are ready to end his life Uh, Robert will you read Luke 4 21 through 34?
2: He began. as you listen this scripture has been fulfilled they were all speaking well of him and were amazed by <coughs> the gracious words that came from his mouth yet they said isn't this Joseph's son then he said to them no doubt you will quote the proverb to me doctor heal yourself what you've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also and he said also Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say this to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day. But the sky was shut up for three years and six months, while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow and Zephyrah in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy. And yet, not one of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enra- en- enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him up to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him off the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Just to think back, just flash back a little
1: bit, uh, we would find out just how Jesus came to be the Savior. Uh, how he refused from what we just read to be the savior that these people wanted uh, so that he could be the savior that they would need. And when I was reading this, I I read the story of Jesus leading up to Nazareth. Um, If we flash back in this imaginary movie, if you will, just set the stage and look at the scenes. It begins at the River Jordan when Jesus is baptized by John. He hears a voice from from heaven declaring him to be the beloved son Then the scene would shift dramatically to the wilderness where Jesus spent 40 days fasting and being tempted by the devil. That scene would change to uh, Capernaum where Jesus would be shown teaching in the synagogues, performing miracles, inviting his disciples to follow him. And then to Nazareth, the town where he grew up. And there would be a dramatic scene in the synagogue that we just read about uh, that he attended as he grew up. It's Sabbath. Jesus is in the synagogue the family, friends, people he's known his whole life all around him. And he stands up and he reads from the prophet Isaiah, this remarkable passage. It's in Luke 4, 18 and 19 says this, The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim, to release the captives and to recover the sight of the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's, favor and then he would close that scroll and he would sit down all eyes are on him and he opens his mouth and he says this Luke 4 21 today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing the, the crowd that was gathered that day is excited. They will speak well of him. They're amazed at the words that came from his mouth. From Jesus, Joseph's son, who has now become a miracle worker, kind of a local celebrity, he's bringing some, some celebrityhood to the area, if you will. They've heard the stories about him since he left, stories of miracles and wondrous events. But they haven't seen any of these events for themselves. They've not seen any of these miracles And let's be honest, they're probably a little bit skeptical. They've heard about it, but they've never seen it. They've known Jesus his whole life, and they haven't seen any of the so-called miracles or proof. But here is where the story turns, because Jesus, he's not going to offer them any proof. It would have been simple enough, I believe, for him to do a miracle just to prove who he was, but he refuses Why does he refuse? I believe it's because he knows that his mission is not to be the son of Joseph, the miracle worker, which is what the people of Nazareth wanted, but his mission is to be the son of God, the savior, which the people of Nazareth and our world needed. And so he tells them that he is not going to do in his hometown what he's done in Capernaum. He's not going to perform any miracles like he did in Nazareth, but like Elijah and Elisha, the great prophets of old, his mission is not to help his hometown, but to be God's prophet to all of the world. <laughs> and he shares the words that have become familiar to all of us. We just read no prophet is accepted in his hometown. He is a prophet that ends up on this cliff right here where we sit with an angry crowd all around him, a crowd that used to love him, a crowd that loves even then in that moment, but our movie is back to where the opening scene with Jesus on this hill, on this cliff, more than a prophet, a savior, he passes through the crowd and he vanishes. Why? The exact same reason that Nathan shared last night, it's not his time. This cliff is not his time. The boat, the storm, not his time. Oh, you see, the story's not over. (laughs) It's far from it. There will eventually be another crowd that will wanna crucify Jesus, and he ain't gonna vanish that time. Because Jesus knows that his mission is not simply to be a prophet, it's to be the world's savior whose death will save the world from sin. And Jesus is called to be savior, not the savior of this hometown but the Savior they need. His mission is not to be the son of Joseph, the miracle worker, but the Son of God, the Savior. And this is good news because we know how the story ends. If Jesus is content simply being the son of Joseph, the miracle worker, a few people might have ended up being cured of their diseases, but the world would not end up being saved from its sin. And we would not end up being saved from our sin. And if Jesus was content simply to be son of Joseph, miracle worker, there's no good news in the gospel and no hope for the world. Oh, but he's not. And he wasn't simply content to be the son of Joseph because he is the son of God. And today declares our Lord and Savior all the promises of Scripture, the promises of God that have been fulfilled because today our sins have been forgiven. And we look for the day. When he returns, Amen. I think as I was walking up here and seeing Mount Tabor over there, and I just want to encourage you with this this morning. Uh, I was reading the other day in Second Peter chapter one, uh, where he said, listen, we saw it with our own eyes, Jesus ascending. And if this is the actual traditional spot in Second Peter chapter one, verse 12 through 15, he's admonishing us pastors, ministry workers to do this. He says this, the stakes are so high. And even though you're up to date on all this truth, you're even practicing it inside and out. I'm not going to let up for a minute in calling your attention before it. This is the post to which I have been assigned, keeping you alert with frequent reminders. And I'm sticking to it as long as I live. I know that I'm to die soon. The master has made it quite clear to me. And so I'm eagerly, especially eager that you have all this down in black and white so that after I die, You will have it ready for reference. And what is he speaking of? If you look in verse 16, he's talking about the glorious return of Jesus. He says, listen, there's some truth that we have and truth travels at the rate of trust. And he says, this is how you can know the truth that I'm offering you is because right there on that mountain, it's verified. I saw it with my own eyeballs. Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, and he's coming back. There's valid validation. He rose again. The tomb's empty. We're going to see that in a moment. But then there's vindication because we know we win. He's coming again. And let the power of that change how we live today. Right here on this mountain. This wasn't the end of him. This was just another journey as he set his face towards Jerusalem to be the Savior of the world. Can I pray? And then we'll do this. Father, we love you. God, we thank you this morning that you are the Savior. You are the Son of God. You were God in the flesh on this earth, and Father, we worship you on this mountain right now. As we look out, we see where your birth, we see the mountain of transfiguration, we see the valley behind us, and we know what's to come here. Oh, but there's an el- another element of this story. There's a to-be-continued element, if you will, because the best is yet to come, and we know that at a moment you will come again, and we long for that day, and as it's been prayed so many times already, even so come, Lord Jesus, what a day it would be to see you to just leave this earth right here in Israel as we join you forevermore. God, thank you for this place. Thank you for this opportunity in this time that we as brothers and one sister get to share on this mountain, to look at your birthplace, to look at the place you grew up, to stand at a spot where uh, you've walked and played on these rocks. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We praise you. And may we just continue to worship you throughout today as we, uh, as we just uh, magnify and glorify your holy name. It's in the strong name of Jesus, the name that is above every name that we pray. Amen. Amen.